Chad Cocking has guided in Timbavati for almost 14 years and this makes him one of the leading guides in the area. He's followed wildlife from the day they were born. He's head guide at my favourite camp in Timbavati called Tandatula. Um, Tandatula has a couple of camps in Timbavati. One is a private mobile safari experience and the other is a, is a luxury tented camp um, and they are both absolutely magical. It was great to catch up with Chad about what's happening in Timbavati at the moment and we will definitely hope to see him out in the bush soon. Did you grow up and how did you end up with this passion for the bush? I am a city boy but I've always been a bush boy at heart. So um, I grew up in Johannesburg in South Africa very different sort of jungle to what we have here and um, I spent my childhood fortunately coming to this greater Kruger region. Uh, I think my, I mean, my youngest memories in life were as a three-year-old having my first lion sighting here and every holiday we'd, the family would come down here and it was always such a big part of me but I never truly believed that I would actually come and live this childhood dream. Don't want to make that sound like a cliche. But I think I did everything in my power to try and avoid it. Um, after my schooling, I studied. Actually, my first course I did was a game ranging course, uh, but more for my own interest. Realized that I wasn't ever going to do this as a career, so went and studied university at the University of Johannesburg, did a BSc in environmental management, did my honors, and I was getting ready to do my master's. And I thought, no, let me just go and... Uh, take a year out, a gap year, as so many people do. I'm sure London's full of South, African, South Africans taking their gap years. Rather than doing that, well, let me rather go to the bush. And that was 14 years ago. So it's now officially a gap decade. Um, I don't blame you. And that's why, you know, clients come back and back as well, is because it is so addictive, isn't it? And you just, you know, after every game drive, you just want to go out again and see more and more and more. Something, sorry, that the lockdown has shown me with, we had no guests, it didn't have to be out, but every day I was still waking up uh, before sunrise to go on a game drive. It made me realize just how much I still, after all these years, love being in this place. Yeah, and it's so infectious for guests when their guide is, is like that as well, you know, it really kind of brings it alive for them. Um, and so how did you end up at Tandatula? I'd been at a previous lodge, uh, also in the Timbavasi, for 11 years. And I thought it was time for a change, so that change was about 20 miles down the road. But I'd become very comfortable where I was. And I'd been looking at leaving and, and trying something new. Uh, there'd been a number of other camps and reserves that I'd thought of, but none of them ticked the boxes. And actually had a, a friend who came to see me at the previous lodge. And she said, look, I'm on my way down for an interview at a camp. Um, and I said, who is it? She's like, don't tell anyone, but it's Tandatula. I said, oh, you know, if I was actually ever going to leave uh, Motswari where I was, the only place I would go uh, would be Tandatula. So I let them know if they have any positions available. Uh, they must uh, give me a call. I got an email about an hour later saying, when can I start? <laughs> so uh, it didn't, didn't take much convincing. It literally ticked all the right boxes. And it's just, it, it's a wonderful setting. The people are great. It's a, I really love the Timbavati Game Reserve as well. So I wanted to stay within that. Because it's a small owner-run business, um, I also didn't have to start at the bottom. The, they knew who I was from the past, and uh, I just I fitted in so well to the team. And it's been uh, yeah, three years, and it's gone by like this. 
Um, that is lovely. And we know how special Tantatula is, like you were just saying, because of the, the fact it's owner run and things like that, which is actually quite unusual nowadays. But what makes the Timbavati so special to you? Um, the Timbavati, it's obviously, you know, the whole greater Kruger region is a pretty special area. But I think one thing that the Timbavati has managed to maintain is a good wilderness feel. And we get many people that come to the Timbavati and go to other reserves. Uh, and I often get feedback from them that they preferred their wildlife and the, the game drive experience here because it didn't feel like it was, you know, don't want to be negative to the other lodges, but I put on it and things are laid out for you. You sometimes have to work a little bit harder for your game. The track has become very involved in the whole experience. But they say that they, they really can get the, that true wilderness feeling and that sense of you don't know what you're going to find around the next corner. Our vehicle density is not as high as in some of the other areas uh, in Southern Africa or South Africa. And um, I, I've, I've, that's why I wanted to stay here. Um, awesome. You get onto the crest of a hill and you look out and there's no sign of uh, man's hand. You don't see any power lines or lights in the distance it just feels like you're in the middle of nowhere and that's worth everything and that is exactly what people are going to want more than anything after this um after this pandemic and exactly. so um what's the biggest challenge about being in the bush so much especially since you've come from a city lifestyle as a child what do you find any of it a challenge obviously you're living in this amazing house yeah, I always have to try and convince people that it's not all uh, rose petals here. Uh, most of it is, um, but you, I guess the one thing that you really do miss is your family. Um, being, uh, I mean, that's a six-hour drive from here back to Johannesburg where my family's based. I only get to see them every couple of months. Um, and that's a little bit hard to, to live with, uh, especially when you're missing birthdays and weddings and things like that. But also one of the reasons I joined Tantula was they understand that you're away from your family and they're always flexible and willing to, to make allowances to give you time off to, to go and join, not on these special occasions. I'm fortunately in a good position now, but for, if you'd asked me this a few years ago, I would have said uh, finding a partner was very, very difficult. It's <laughs> not a place you go to meet uh, the lady of your dreams, so I thought. And uh, then uh, a few years ago, actually a week after arriving at Tantula, this riverbed behind was in full flow. Um, had to go up to another camp to pick up the guests and uh, met my partner there. And uh, yeah, three years later, we're still together and couldn't be happier. But uh, that had been a big challenge because <laughs> it's like uh, the impala rutting season when a, a young lady arrives in the reserve, you have all of these single guides <laughs> fighting over her. <laughs> you just gotta be sure that you're the one that uh, gets there in the end. And eventually, after many years of trying, I, I managed to win. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because actually people don't realize they think, cause when people go on safari, a lot of them meet kind of management couples and things like that. And they think, God, what an amazing lifestyle, but actually there's a lot of um, kind of bachelors and bachelorettes. Well, maybe not so many bachelorettes, but in the bush and it's difficult, but you do it because it's your passion and you, you know, it takes the priority. And then hopefully like you did, you meet someone along the way who feels the same. Because yeah. it's also, it's uh... Yeah, one thing to, to find someone here, but one that actually wants to share in this lifestyle with you. So it's, it's not everyone's cup of tea uh, being this remote, but luckily uh, Monique absolutely uh, adores living here in the bush and uh, yeah. you can see many, many years of our future being spent here.
Yeah, because you definitely do hear of a couples moving to the bush and um, one of them survives and one of them has to leave. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that would be a tough, a tough choice to make. Um, and I, I guess we're not quite at that level yet, but it is one of the other things that actually ends many couples' uh, livelihoods in the bush is when they get married and start families. Um, fortunately, the owners of Tandatula, the directors, they've all been here for many years, they've had their kids, they've gone through this process, and they're very good at fostering an environment that allows their staff to have their children here. Um, school is about a 45 minute drive away, there's a nice private school in Pittsburgh, and Tandatula actually have a, an education foundation that provides a school bus to take the kids into school, uh, which is a big schlep if you, you're having to do that yourself, then still get back to work. Um, but they, they try to cater for the staff that uh, do want kids and um, make, make life that a little bit easier. Yeah. They don't want to lose people just because they have children. Exactly. And that is, you know, and that's why Tandatula actually is so special because when you come, you find that many of the staff have been there for such a long time because they're so yeah. well looked after and it just makes such a good atmosphere in the camp. It does. Yeah. It's, uh, our staff are definitely one of the standout features of, of the lodge and when you hear of people having spent, I think David Matabula, our longest serving member, has been over 30 years, and many just behind him, 25, 28 years, and you're not going to keep staff, and especially staff of that quality, unless you're providing a, the right environment for them to feel comfortable and feel uh, loved by the, by the team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so what's your favorite species to kind of follow or walk with or on a game drive? What do you love to kind of see? Sure. You say we've only got 45 minutes. <laughs> I think we could talk about every animal here. Um, I, I, I love wild dogs. They are my favorite. Um, it's not everyone's cup of tea watching animals hunting and animals being killed, but if you stick with wild dogs, you will get to have that adrenaline of, of, of seeing a hunt. Probably won't actually see the kill take place, but you get to feel like you're part of it. And also because they're relatively rare. Timbervite is very blessed. We have quite a number of wild dog packs that move through the area. Um, I think of the group of parks, got about 350 wild dogs at the moment. This season, I think in our area alone, we've had uh, 70 dogs move through in the last uh, two months, which is pretty special. Amazing. Um, and when I started guiding, wild dogs were not very well known, especially amongst first-time safari goers. And I won't forget my, one of my first sightings, driving quite a distance to see this pack of dogs and showing them to the guests, like, look at that. And they're like, are those hyenas? I was like, no. Like, are they jackals? I was like, no, they're wild dogs. Oh, they just, they had no idea. Even when I explained how rare they were, they didn't seem to pick up on this. Only when they started chatting to other guests that arrived and mentioned that they'd seen wild dogs and saw the guest reaction of how envious they were, did they start uh, appreciating just how lucky they'd been on their first safari. Uh, and by the end, that actually became the highlight of the state, even though they had no idea in the beginning. Um, but with so many of the wildlife documentaries, the BBC and Netflix series, uh, including wild dogs, or even focusing on wild dogs, getting so many more first time safari goers coming, asking to see wild dogs or painted wolves as they're often referred to. Um, so it makes um, spending time with them a bit easier when, you're, when your guests appreciate just how, how rare and special they are. And then, yeah, the lion, I, I enjoy lions. Uh, I, I've spent a lot of time following the history of the lion fights in the area. 
also watching them ebb and flow, come and go. And there's just something majestic about spending time in the presence of a lion tribe uh, that never gets old. And um, I know they sleep a lot and season safari goes, don't get quite as excited about lions as first timers. But, you know, if you time it right and understand their behavior and get there when they're waking up or doing things, um, yeah, very little comes close to spending time with them, especially if they got cubs. If they got cubs, I'm afraid then they actually beat wild dogs. I'd rather go see lion cubs playing around than wild dogs. But what about wild dog puppies? Because I do think that they are also quite high up on the list of cute baby animals. Yeah. Um, if you are ever in a lucky enough position to have them <laughs> dead in the concession, um, yeah, that then takes the cake. I've been in the 14 years, we've had four den sites, uh, or in four seasons, we've had a packed den within our area. And um, yeah, they're actually those moments uh, at the den sites are definitely within the top two or three experiences of my guiding career of, of all the things I've seen. Um, just incredible energy and uh, yeah, super, super cute. So yeah, <laughs> I, I, I dream of the next denning season. It's been a couple of years now, but uh, every year we get very excited when the packs hang around, hoping that they're going to den here. Uh, but unfortunately with the lion, prides as they are, the, the wild dogs tend to move off and look for places away from where the, where the lions are, are residing. So that yeah. doesn't often happen, but you never know. Yeah, well, that's what makes it so special when it does, doesn't it? So you can um, mm. you can really get close and, and that kind of interaction between them is so amazing, isn't it? Yeah, they, they are very special. Any social thing, and I, or social animals. Um, you know, leopards are great, and I spend a lot of time following leopards, um, and there's just something in their beauty, but they do miss that social element that the wild dogs and the lions have, and that's why I, I tend to list them above leopards. Don't get me wrong, I'll take a leopard any day. <laughs> um, and I'm going to split this next question into two. So what's your most um, exciting or memorable uh, wildlife experience from a vehicle? And then we'll do on foot as well, because I, I know you do a lot of walking. Yeah, I'll, I'll start with the, the foot one. Um, unfortunately, this story happened without guests. I don't think I would have enjoyed it quite as much as I did if uh, I had a bunch of tourists behind me. Uh, but it's, it's, yeah, one of those questions that comes up quite often, you know, what is your scariest encounter? Uh, and it's definitely my most told story. It was, um, I had some first times for a group from Switzerland that had arrived and, you know, we, we took it slowly. We spent some time watching some hippos and impalas at a dam. Uh, it was beginning of summer, so there was some dung beetles. We started driving off down the road and my tracker put his hand up to stop. And um, I thought I was going to squash a dung beetle. I said, what's wrong? He's like, no, there's, there's a, a drag mark. There's a mark going across the road in the sand. Let's uh, go see what it is. So we jump out and uh, our first thought is it was a kill that a leopard has made and has dragged this carcass away. But when we got down, we couldn't see any footprints of a leopard. So maybe it's actually a big crocodile that's just been walking close to the dam. But um, we started walking my track and I, and he bent down and he picked up the hair of, of uh, an antelope. He's like, no, this is definitely a leopard. It's been plucking the hair here. And there was a road about 20, 30 meters in front of us. Um, we couldn't see where the drag mark went through the grass. So I thought, let's go to the road and see where it crosses the road. So we jumped onto the road. He walked one way, I walked the other. And we didn't come across the drag mark again. And I thought, well, if the leopard hasn't dragged it across the road, it must still be between us and the car. And I turned around and I saw this impala lying there with its legs up in the air. And I, I knew it was dead because I don't normally sleep like that. 
And um, I whistled to Petros. I said, here's uh, the Impala. He was like, great. So we walked back to each other. We met. We started walking back to the car. And for some reason that I still do not know to this day why it entered my mind, but I thought, let me go have a look at the Impala car to see how much the leopard has eaten. I'd already made up uh, in my mind which leopard it was and thought that she'd either run away when she saw us jump off the car or she'd gone to fetch her cubs and she wasn't there. So it was about 20, 25 meters from the carcass. I looked at it and I veered off from my track of walking towards the carcass. And the next thing it started growling at me and that was in my focus shifted about half a meter from the carcass to the leopard that was sitting right next to it that I hadn't seen 10 meters away when I found the carcass. And um, my tracker then didn't hear very well. So I was like, Petros, we've got to get out of here. But before we could even make a move to the car, which was only 15 meters away, uh, this leopard came flying out the bush and um, came running straight at us. And very embarrassingly, but the first thing I thought to do was to turn and run. It's what we tell our guests never do. And I, honestly, I thought the car's close enough, I can make it to the car. And I took one step back and um, this little voice in my mind amongst all the chaos that was going on just said, don't run. And I, I listened, I, I froze, I turned to face this leopard and she got to about six or seven meters away and it looked like she was gonna run away. But she looked at me and I looked at her and they say, that's the one thing you don't do with a leopard on foot is look at it in the eye. And we made eye contact and she turned and she came back. And um, I don't know, it's difficult to express, but that distance about three foot was probably where she stopped from my feet. She was hitting the ground, hissing and snarling. And uh, yeah, my proverbial life flashed in front of me. Although at no point did I actually think I was gonna die. I just thought this is really gonna hurt. But I screamed and shouted. I did a, a terrible rendition of the flamenco. I was lifting my legs because all I thought she was gonna do was just snap my calf muscles with her claw. And she turned and ran away into the bush. I stopped, my track and I looked at each other. We burst out laughing. We turned to look at the guests and they were all just sitting there, ashen faced, mouths agape. We walked back to the concert, you found your leopard. And they were like, no, we don't want to see a leopard. And um, it was all right in front of them in their first half hour of their first ever safari. And uh, they had a tour guide with them who obviously realized this is not what happens. And they're like, are you guys all right? And I was like, yeah, it's fine. She's like, no, Chad, you look like white as a sheet. She said, you could just see the blood drain out of my face. And um, got in the car, went and found the leopard and realized I'd made a mistake about which leopard it was. And you know what they say about assuming things. Um, and settled in the sighting, adrenaline wore off. My hands were stinging. I was clapping so loudly. My uh, legs started shaking. The whole vehicle was moving. And um, I called a friend. I now needed to share this story with someone. And um, I called him and he said, where are you? Are you close to the dam? I, I can hear some baboons shouting. I'm sure there's a leopard there. And I had to tell him that it wasn't the baboon shouting, it was actually me. But uh, that was by far and away the, the most exciting moment I've had as a guide on foot. Uh, but all I can say is thank goodness it wasn't with, uh, with a bunch of guests because, uh, yeah, it would have uh, been the last walking safari I think they would ever have done. Oh my God, that is the most amazing story. And then I'm not surprised the guest didn't want to see another leopard. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, difficult to get that level of excitement um, in a vehicle. Sure, but the most exciting thing, look, obviously in a vehicle, we're very fortunate here that 
our animals are just completely habituated to um, the vehicles. So they go about their business as if we're not there. Um, and okay, one of the more memorable ones many years ago now, but there was a, a leopard that had caught a, was a young leopard and she'd caught a baby impala. And then this baby impala in its attempt to get away stumbled under my car. And now we had this leopard circling around the vehicle trying to get the baby impala, but it wasn't confident enough to go and, and, and to remove it from under the car. And this also left me in a massive predicament about what do I do? Do I stay here and interfere or do I actually have to move away? Um, anyway, I, I, I decided to let nature take its course and, uh, and moved away and, and the scene played out. But just to have this happening literally underneath you was, was remarkable. But um, yeah, I'd have to say elephants, elephants and vehicles have given me some of my most amazing experiences to have them literally come up and, and brush against the car or sniff the car um, in very, very safe environment. I mean, you let them come into your space and you, you read their nature, uh, but they're just so comfortable and, and don't see us as any danger. You tell the guests to sit still, sit quiet. And it's probably been the moments that have elicited the most emotional responses from the guests where they, they cry, but not from fear, just from sheer amazement that they can be sitting in amongst an incredible family of elephants and and almost feel invisible it's it's pretty special yeah that is that is incredible um and you know following elephants with a vehicle or, or just sitting with elephants in a vehicle is one of the most magical things about a game drive isn't it compared okay. to walking it's a thing that you can't really do well you probably could if you're a good walking guide like you but i but the, with the vehicle you can approach safely and then have an amazing experience with the ellies yeah no it's, it's yeah. very very special and finally where else in the world um is on your bucket list to travel or other species that you want to see or hmm um sure many places i'm i'm a very a poorly traveled i've started over the last few years as you get older and have actual money to spend uh to take opportunities uh, when, when you can. I, as a youngster, I'd always wanted to go see the migration up in East Africa. I've been fortunate to have done that a few times. I've uh, been to see the gorillas in Rwanda. Um, I haven't, however, gone to explore Botswana as much as I would like. I've done a couple of days up in the northern part of Chobe, but I would love to spend time in uh, the Sibuti region as well as Okavango swamps. But I think if I had to pick a, a one destination to go to, it would be um, the Arctic uh, Spalbat region, just to go and see a landscape that is so completely different from what we have here. Um, the chance of seeing uh, polar bears would be yeah, something I, I would love to do, but um, I'm not so sure how well I'd handle the cold. <laughs> we live in an area where at the moment it's uh, a balmy 33 degrees, and uh, I don't know if you put a minus in front of that, but enjoy it quite as much. But, uh... um, Chad, we, we do the Arctic as well. We have a sister company that offers the Arctic. And I can tell you that when you go to the Arctic, they give you Arctic level clothes. So okay. you would be fine. <laughs> Only the ill-prepared are going to suffer. No, that, that's, that's very much it. Um, and then a bit close to home and a bit more realistic for the near future is actually uh, Namibia, a neighboring country to South Africa that so many people that have traveled many countries rate as one of the most incredible countries that they visited 
um, and I, I haven't done it. I've got as close as the Khalakhadi France Frontier National Park, um, but I really want to go and spend more time uh, exploring Namibia, or not more time, some time exploring Namibia, just, just to see it. That's the thing, there's so much in Africa before you even think about other parts of the world. There's so yeah. much left to do there and you'll never even scratch the surface um, of yeah. Africa. And now we're talking Africa, the one that's popped onto everyone's radar recently, and it's not just because it has a cool name, but it's in Chad, uh, Zakuma Uber. National Park. Um, there's uh, a lot of good conservation efforts going into that, and I've had a number of friends that have, have gone and done photographic safaris there, and the, the images that they are sending back are just incredible. It looks like such a bounty of life uh, from, I mean, they've got that herd of over 400 elephants, um, incredible density of, of loads of different bird species. They've got the lions there, they were trying to put the black rhinos back in there. Um, I think they're also putting wild dogs back that side. And, uh, you know, I think at the moment, I think the Timbavati has a wild feel. I can only imagine what a, an untouched wilderness like Zakuma must feel like. So uh, that's also um, high up in my Africa wish list. Yeah, mine too, mine too. Um, I do every, every, about once a week, look at pictures of Zakuma and just think, when, when am I going to get there? Um, but let's talk about your photography because we haven't talked about it at all. So you've got, you've got one coffee table book out already. Yeah. And then yes. have, you, uh, have you got a second one coming out? Or? Um, yes, there is a new one coming out. I was actually just showing um, uh, Don and Nina, the owners of Tundatula today. We sat and, and went through that just to see get their feedback and uh, it was only positive so I was feeling very very good about myself today and um, it was a, a project that I was hoping to have done last year but uh, without any uh, guests to sell the product to I, I haven't uh, I didn't push it too much but uh, lockdown gave us a, a lot of time to, to work on things and that was my one project so I, I literally finished the first draft uh, a week ago and uh, just going through some final changes uh, I'm going to send it off to the publisher tomorrow to see if what they say, been doing this, taking photos for 14 years, I'm bound to get some uh, moments where I, I, I click the shutter at the right time. But it, it is a passion and it's something that has grown over time. It's not my main love. When I came to the bush, it was actually the photography that drew me here. But uh, now it's, it's of a secondary interest. I, I always have the camera with me. And if there's a good opportunity, I'll, I'll happily click away. Um, but if I, I don't take any photos for a week, it, it doesn't bother me. Um, but fortunately, over so many years of doing it, I, I've managed to capture some uh, special moments and uh, great memories that I'll, I'll, I'll be able to treasure for uh, forever now. And so where can people get hold of the one that you've already had published and what's the name of it? Um, so that one I actually did for Motswari, the previous lodge that I worked at. Uh, it was available uh, through them. And Fortunately, I don't, well, or maybe fortunately, all it's the, the copies are sold out. Um, and I'm not sure if they will be doing a second run. But um, if they, people are interested, um, they can follow me on, on Instagram, um, just Chad Cocking. And Tandatula as well, uh, they're going to be helping promote it once it is out. So they can uh, definitely find out from there. And uh, I will be shipping some books to Amazon. So the distribution, particularly in the, the Northern Hemisphere, would be much more convenient than trying to get books out of South Africa to everyone abroad. Uh, but we're hoping to have that out by middle of this year. Okay, amazing. Well, yeah, we'll put you, obviously we're going to tag you in all the um, posts and stuff so people can follow and see when the book comes out. But that sounds incredible. You can never have too many um, coffee table books, pictures of Africa. 
Especially in times like this when you can't actually travel, you're going to use your mind to travel. So sit back on the couch and just page through it. And uh, yeah, I've, I've tried my best to capture uh, the soul of the Timbavati and um, yeah, the, the special place that, that this is. And yeah, I really do hope that when it comes out, people do enjoy it. Yeah, no, that's absolutely amazing. Chad, thank you so much. That was brilliant. Thank you, Rose. Thank you for your time too.